Hello, everyone. We are back for episode seven of the Beyond the Whistle show. It is a great April afternoon. I'm here with my guys, Ian Nicholas and Cortland Parrott, and we have a special guest for you guys today, Chris Sheeran, an employee for the Yes Network, and he's done a lot of work in the broadcasting industry. Apologies. And now we are glad to have him on our show. Thank you for joining us, Chris. It is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So us as upcoming broadcasters in the industry, and now we get to talk to a pro like you. Our first question is, what made you want to be a broadcaster? Uh, that's a loaded question with a long answer. I'll try to give you the short uh, answer here, though. When I was back in high school, like you guys are right now, I played basketball. I played uh, baseball. Uh, baseball was my sport, but basketball I enjoyed a lot as well. I just wasn't as good as I was in the younger years because uh, I was concentrating more on baseball. And uh, when I left my junior season, my basketball coach, the varsity coach, said to me, if you don't play summer basketball, you're looking at limited playing time next year. And I basically looked at him right in the face and I said, coach, I play baseball in the summer. I don't play basketball. Mm. So... As luck would have it, though, we had a local TV station in my hometown of South River, New Jersey. They covered the football games. They covered the basketball games for the high school. And uh, who knew the basketball team better than me? I went to school with them their entire lives. So when they found out I wasn't playing, they offered me the job of color analyst for the local cable station's basketball coverage for our team. And uh, the rest is history. That's where it really started to, you guys know, I mean, because you're doing this. I mean, you could be doing whatever you want right now. And, and, and you're, you have the passion to be doing this. So, you know, when this gets injected into your veins and, and with sports not around, it's just driving me absolutely crazy. But mm -hmm. when, when you can't play it at a high level, my friend Mark Malusis, who's on WFAN, he says, yep. it he says, if you can't play it, talk it. <laughs> and <laughs> even though I still play baseball and I'm 46 years of age and I play in New Canaan uh, against the New Canaan Cannons, by the way, <laughs> my team, the Bridgeport Brewers, play them uh, two times every year. We lost them in the playoffs last year. Very sour subject with me. Uh -huh. But <laughs> you can't if you can't play it. Uh, talk about it and cover it. It's my passion. It's what I love to do. And I could see in all of your faces that this is exactly what you want to be doing and you love to do it as well. Totally. And when you were growing up, was it, were you the type of kid that followed every and all sports or was it just like those baseball and basketball? Was it just, I was, I was like the four major sports. It was baseball, football, basketball, hockey. I, I was never, believe it or not, I don't know if you guys are, but I was never a soccer fan. I, I'll be completely honest with you. I get into the World Cup, men's and women's, because, the, and I know the Premier League is like ridiculously talented, but I just have a hard time like watching so much action with, with not a lot of action happening. And I know soccer fans want to smack me for saying that, but I need like that instant gratification. You know, I need like plays in football. I need baseball from pitch to pitch. I live from pitch to pitch. And I think a lot of it, guys, is, the fact that I grew up in a baseball household. My father uh, passed away in November. He was pretty much everything to me with like baseball. So he, I, I just wrote something on Facebook today about him. 
I'm trying to do a picture a day with memories of my dad. And uh, it's funny because sitting there and watching a game with him, he would tell me what pitch was coming. He would tell me what the manager was thinking before the manager even thought it. He was very insightful when you sat there and watched baseball with him. He was a catcher in his own right. He played with an all-African-American team uh, when he was growing up. He was, uh, he was a catcher on that team. And from what the guys who play with him tell me, no one ever stole on him. Uh, and he could hit the heck out of the ball. Uh, he got a tryout with the Yankees. So I, I did follow all four sports. But if you basically cut my skin open, you would probably find seams holding all of my ligaments together because that's how into baseball I am. Wow. That's, oh, trust me, I, I feel it. <laughs> that's a, I mean, Cortland and Dylan play for the high school team now. And I oh, know there you they're, go. They're, they're itching to get back out there. Well, and maybe I, also, I could recruit those guys to play for the Bridgeport Brewers someday. Uh, you <laughs> hey, you, you yeah, need yeah. a pinch hitter. I can come help you out. Those are your the field, future. not my game. Those are your building blocks right there. <laughs> Those are the guys you're going to be building your team around. There so you that, go. Oh, that's awesome to hear that baseball has really been instilled to you thanks to your father since yeah. day one. So I guess that leaves us with the question. You cover the Yankees now on Yes Network, but was the Yankees the team for you growing up, or was it something else for you in central Jersey? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. Um, from a very young age, uh, I, I guess – See, my mom's dad, my grandfather on my mother's side, he was a huge, huge Brooklyn Dodgers fan. So he was a National League guy. His favorite player was Roy Campanella, again, a catcher. My grandfather caught two. It's like everybody before me was a catcher. Even my brothers were both catchers. Somehow I was a pitcher and I played second base. Who the hell knows? But anyway, um, but my grandfather was a Brooklyn Dodger fan growing up. And when they left and they went to L.A., it, it tore his heart out. And what do you do to get back at the team <laughs> that moves 3,000 miles across the country? You start rooting for the team that they hated, and that was the New York Yankees. So my grandmother and my grandfather, my, my Italian grandparents on my mother's side, they used to take me to the Bronx every single season. We had seats. They would give us the seats in the loge in the old place, the middle section. Mm -hmm. And then they would go sit out in right field. They got two tickets for themselves out there. We'd all meet after the game and we'd go back home. But my love affair with the Yankees, and I was just telling somebody about this too. And I, I'll, I'll pose the same question to all of you, and maybe all of you could answer. And it's different for me with the new place. The new place is the new place. But the old place, you, you didn't see the field. And I don't know if you guys were there. I mean, I don't know if, if you were old enough to be at the old Yankee Stadium. But you could not see the field until you walked through your respective tunnel where your seats were. When you got, and no matter how many times I did it, guys, the first time my eyes laid on that green, green grass, because you got to remember something, too. You're talking to somebody who's old enough who had a black and white TV. <laughs> No, I watch, don't know what that is. <laughs> when I watch Yankees games, when I watch Yankees games, I didn't see the green grass. You know, when I got to the stadium and you see that lustrous green grass, then the, the head groundskeeper, I always tell him how beautiful the field looks. And he looks at me like I have nine heads. But I tell him because 
from the first time I saw that field when I was five back in 1978 in the Bronx Zoo, by the way, on Bat Day, that was an adventure. <laughs> to the time now when I'm 46 years of age, I mean, now I get to go on the field before the game if I'm working. Mm -hmm. And there's just, no, I, I instantaneously turn into a 12-year-old child because it's everything I've dreamed of. And now I'm actually down there. Look, I wanted to play for the team, but the next best thing is doing what I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, the old stadium, I wasn't, I'm, I'm the Yankee fan here. Ian isn't really much of a baseball guy. Cortland's on the other side. He's a I'm, Red work, Sox I'm working on the baseball knowledge, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, during this time, it's been tough, but I've been watching classics, you know, 96 World Series, 99 World Series, 98 best team almost ever, probably other than 27 Yankees. But I mean, it was an amazing stadium. And I feel like the old one just, it had more of a feel to it. The fans were more into it. Now you don't really feel that way. Here's, here's the thing. And this is what I hear from opposing players since the new place opened. And I know they won the World Series the year that it opened, but a lot of the opposing players say, the old place, it just seemed like everybody was on top of you. And if you, if I could paint a picture for you, if you've never been there, the upper deck, if you were in the upper deck, you were still hanging over the field. So you still felt like you were close to everything. This one's a little pushed back. So everybody's pushed back a little bit, especially in the lower bowl. You're not as close to the playing field as the old stadium used to be. And Guys, you know what Fenway Park is. Cortland, obviously, you're a Red Sox fan. So, and if you read David Cohn's book, Jack Curry and David Cohn's book. Uh, I read that one. David Cohn talks about warming up in that Red Sox bullpen as a visitor. And with the vitriol that he had to – the awful jokes and, and the barbs and, like, the slings and arrows he had to deal with. And he said the only way to deal with it was to look up once in a while and go, eh, that was a good one. And that seemed to just settle them down a little bit, like, oh, he's listening to me. Because he said, and I thought this was great, he said, if, if you bounced a pitch, they were all over you. And they said, that's not going to work. And, you know, when you, when you start first warming up, you're not throwing your best stuff. So he's not throwing as hard as he was. And, ah, that's all you got? You're going to get destroyed. And I can't do a Boston accent, so I'm not even going to try. But – just his visions of everything in that Red Sox bullpen warming up. That's, ah, golly. It's just, you guys could tell. I, I am just, I I'm like a baseball. If you ever unwrap one, it's got that little core and it's got the yarn and it's got the, 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 the rawhide around it. That's me. I, I think I have one of those things right here in my chest and everything else is wrapped in yarn. It's going to be an interesting autopsy when I pass away. Oh my gosh. It's interesting. <laughs> One thing I've noticed is I've been to another games at Fenway and also the new Yankee stadium. I, although I'm a Red Sox fan, no bias. I prefer uh, Fenway. It's one of the old school stadiums. It's been there forever. It's the low walls. You're right there next to the field. I feel like when you go to Yankee stadium, you have that sweet level um, space kind of around home uh, to the first and third base sides. And you're still kind of far away from the field, although I'm, Yankees fans are notorious for their comments and all that, and the bleachers in right field. I feel like the older stadiums have that character of you're on top of well, the players, just like you said with the old Yankee stadium. I was going to say exactly what you just said, Cortland, and, and that's, that's the word, character. 
you got to think that it just, it staggers me when I think about Fenway Park because the Titanic sunk and then Fenway Park opened. <laughs> so yep. you're talking about a place that's been around over a hundred years and they've, they've added to it, but it still has that old ballpark feel. I mean, look, when, when you play MLB the show uh, and these graphics on these video games are just unbelievable now compared to when I was growing up, you guys are spoiled. I mean, Brett Gardner actually looks like Brett Gardner. I had a stick figure <laughs> with a stick bat when I was playing Atari and Nintendo growing up. But the point I'm trying to make is when, when you see the Red Sox on the schedule on MLB The Show, you actually can't wait to play there because the aesthetics of the place, and I know pitchers hate it, uh, especially left-handed pitchers. They have to be on top of their game, especially with that heavy-handed, right-handed handed lineup that the Red Sox always had. But it's just, I'm going to go back to that word again, character. It, you just, you can't mimic that. You could try to rebuild stuff like that, but it just doesn't work. And you're right. It, it's just one of those classy old-time ballparks that will always live on. And hopefully it stays in Boston for years to come. Well, sure. yeah, I mean, it's one of the most historical ballparks, Ian, you wanted to add on? Well, not – I mean, I know that obviously I'm not the massive baseball guy. I really wish, though, because I'm a massive New York Giants fan, I wish I had been to old Giants Stadium before they opened up. There you go. Game. Now we have some power. There we go. There we go. Because <laughs> I've, been, I've been going to MetLife every year for Giants games since 20, uh, 2013 for each of the last seven years. And I do remember that moment. You were mentioning like when you first walk in and you get yeah. your seat. I remember the first game I went to, it was a slugfest. It was the last game of the year. Giants were out of the playoffs. It was like raining. Shock. You know? <laughs> oh. Um, okay. You know, and, you know, Eli Manning. I'm a fan. Got, I could say that. I could say, say that. It's fine. You know, Eli Manning got hurt in the middle of the game. They had to put Curtis Painter in, but I oh. loved it. And we won the game. And I know that feeling, even though MetLife, you know, it's a massive stadium. It isn't like a classic place yet. It's still, I, I know that feeling and I understand like just as a fan of sports and, yeah. you know, knowing that you want to be there playing on the field, but this is the next best thing of being there and being one of the fans and the noise all around you and the chant. I, everyone, I mean, all of us in this chat understand. That. I, I was in the old place uh, more than a handful of times. Uh, the one that I remember the most probably, and you'll like this story, okay. was Lawrence Taylor's last playoff game. Oh, it was against the Vikings. They beat the Vikings. Rodney Hampton, I think, had a 51-yard touchdown right down. And we we had these seats. We got them through uh, a local uh, place that took a bus, and we went on the bus and we went to the stadium. Kit, but they were like lower level, 50-yard line seats. Wow, unbelievable. Yep. The thing I remember most about that game, guys, was we had severe ice and snow before that game. And they couldn't work fast enough to chip away the ice that was in the seats. So mm. we we literally all game long had our feet on a block of ice. I, I can remember trying to walk back to the bus after that game. I, I couldn't feel my feet. That's how freezing cold it was. And that was Taylor's last playoff game, last playoff win, because they went out to San Francisco the next week and they got their rear ends handed to them by the 49ers. Yikes. Something I don't want to remember. But that place had a lot of character too. 
And I'll tell you a, a funny quick story if I can. I went to a, see, when I was younger, maybe 10, 11, 12, I had an AFC team and an NFC team. So I had the Seahawks in the AFC. I was so mixed up. And I had the Giants in the NFC. Both teams stunk, by the way. <laughs> but my dad had a chance to get me Jet Seahawks tickets on Monday night. And wow. he, took me, he took me to the old stadium on Monday night football. And um, this is not going to reflect my dad very well, but I, uh, whatever. He, um, there was a commercial timeout, TV timeout. Everybody in my section standing up. And they're all looking down and I'm eating my pretzel and I start to get up and I said, dad, what's going on? He goes, nothing, sit down, sit down. Well, I found out later that somebody flashed. <laughs> somebody picked their shirt up in the front row and everybody in my section saw it, but this guy. So my dad was protecting me. <laughs> Fatherly instinct. I love it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and you talk about GM experiences. Uh, and you've talked a lot about um, going to uh, the old Yankee Stadium specifically and seeing the field and seeing the character. Yeah. And you've worked a lot uh, with the Yankees doing pre and post-game shows. Do you still feel that when walking out on the field, seeing that every nice time. grass? Or is it every time? Every time. So it's a new feeling every, every time? Every time I go, it doesn't get old because there's new players you could talk to. There's uh, former Yankees that are playing for the visiting team that you can go talk to that you've made relationships with. Um, but being on that field, it's just, I'll give you, <laughs> when they were still at the old place, one of my favorite players growing up, and I got to interview him on the set last year for the first time in my life with Willie Randolph. We both played second base. Uh, Willie was one of the best defensive second basemen in Yankee history, by the way. And he came into the studio. We did a segment together. We took we took pictures afterwards. It was one of the best moments of my life in the studio. But this is going back to maybe 07, 08. I was at the stadium, and he was hitting infield practice. And <laughs> I was still like a little kid. And the ball got by him. He was trying to stop it with his foot because he had his fungo bat and he, he didn't stop the ball. The ball rolls right in front of me. And he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. And then he let, he's looking and he starts laughing. He goes, are you going to pick that up and throw it back? And I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just, it, 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 the fact that I still had that starstruck feeling in my body when I was what? What was that? 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I was 33 years of age. I just, I constantly get transformed. Now look, when it's time to work, I go to work, but I can't feeling when I walk up those steps. When, when I, when I fill in for Meredith Morakovitz and, and I, I get to interview players after they win and I'm on the field and I'm on the loudspeaker and I'm interviewing the guy after they you know, after he just got the game-winning hit or after he pitched a heck of a ninth inning. It's it's like my soul leaves my body and I'm watching my body do what I'm doing. It's just, you guys have heard the saying, you know, you got to pinch yourself because you think you're dreaming. That that's, that's literally the feeling I have every time I'm on the field. It's amazing. Industry can bring so many opportunities to us. Uh, so we wanted to bring back a little bit to your background. You 
graduated from Rowan College and you were inducted into their Radio Hall of Fame in 2013. You want to talk about how that uh, really platform transferred you to the career you have now? You know, I, I say this to every high school class I go to talk to, every college class I go to talk to. When, when you're there in college, uh, you have to use what's there. You have to get involved with the radio station. You have to get involved with the television station. You have to do as much as humanly possible. You're going to have plenty of time to have with your friends and, and, and do your work. But you've got, if you have this passion, you have to, you have to get stuff on tape. You guys are different though, because you have so many, you have these things, these smartphones. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have that stuff. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, your parents or that other, you know, your older yeah. relative. Well, when I was younger, we didn't have that. I'm not trying to do that to you, but it's the truth. It's the God's honest truth. We didn't have the capabilities. There are so many apps you could write. You could throw it into this app called Big View, and it's a teleprompter on your telephone. You can buy the little uh, tripods. You could do these things that you could put out there. You could make a tape. We couldn't do that. You know, we, we actually had to get studio time somewhere. And, and luckily enough, I had some at, at Rowan, but those tapes have been burned. <laughs> no one will see them ever again. Um, I started losing the hair back then, and it wasn't a pretty sight. Bald is beautiful, trust me. Um, but going back to my days at, at Rowan Radio, that really – the, the best thing about that, guys, was the, the gentleman who ran the radio station was a guy by the name of Frank Hogan. He has since retired, but he ran that college radio station like a real radio station. If you were late, you got, you know, stuff happened. If you didn't do your job right, stuff happened. If he didn't like something you said on the air, he called you while you were on the air, when you went to a song. It just felt like you had a real job at a radio station. You just weren't getting paid. And over time, you know, it would get on your it would get on your nerves a little bit. But you, you don't really think about it until you leave and say, you know what? Frank was just trying to get me ready for what's out there now because it's not going to get any easier. And between Frank running the radio station the way he did, and I got to tell you about the best professor I had, I had two. One was Ned Eckhart, who, who ran the TV department. He's since retired, too. And the other one was uh, Ed Kasuba. Ed was my broadcast journalism teacher. And he was also on KYW News Radio in Philadelphia. And he ran his class like a newsroom. I looked on the syllabus when I walked in, and it said, halfway through this semester, if you have one mistake, one, on any assignment, it's a zero. Wow, so wow. That, that got you to straighten up in your chair a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, so between those two guys and Ned as well, they they just really, if, if we were all just big blobs of clay, they were the ones that helped shape me and put me in the kiln and have me ready for what I'm doing right now. Well, that's really Amazing. great to hear for, because I know uh, Dylan and Cortland are both seniors and they already know where they're going to college. Dylan's going to ASU, Cortland to South oh, Carolina. Boy. 
So <laughs> they, they already, I think that's great for them to hear that, you know, when you get to college, you do need to treat it like a job and take every opportunity seriously. And it's also great to hear that the, the, uh, the professors you had uh, at Rowan just really just kept working with you so hard and, you know, just demanded perfection to try to get the best out of you. you know, and I think that's great for them to hear. Yeah, you know, it's it's the labs and and they said and and the best thing about it was they made it our responsibility. They weren't forcing us. They said the labs are opened. They're for your use. We're not going to force you to come in here. This is your life. This is your money that you're spending. And it was. Trust me. <laughs> I paid it back for 12 years after I got it out. But I I took that to heart. And you know what? I think me paying for school by myself really um kicked me in the rear end and said to myself, you know, if I'm paying for this, I'm going to get the most out of it. I'm going to take advantage of whatever they have to offer. And now I, I really think, look, I'm not, I'm not saying this wasn't, e it, it was easy. I'm reaping the benefits now, but it was a struggle for the first, I graduated in December of 95. I would say for the first five years, it was a struggle. I mean, nine years of trying to get on the air and getting rejection letters for nine years, mm. sending out VHS tapes. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's not cheap postage either. So, you know, it, it was just, I don't know. I, I wouldn't trade my college experience for anything, and I wouldn't trade the professors I had for anything. You just, you guys that are going next year, you, and let me say this too. I feel extremely bad for you seniors. I do. And I need to say this because, you know, you, you really bust your rear end your entire life to get that moment. And I hope at some point New Canaan gives you your moment, guys. I really do from the bottom of my heart, because not only for you, but for your parents, because I saw it in my parents' eyes when my brother, my older brother graduated when I graduated, when my younger brother graduated. It's like a passage. You know what I mean? It's not just for you. Believe me when I tell you it's for your parents. And it's their baby boy, baby girl, and, and they're taking that next step in life. So I hope at some point, no matter how they do it, no matter how creative they get and they try to do it, I hope they give you that moment not just for you because you deserve it so much, but for your parents and your families as well, because it, it really is a turning the page in your life when you're heading off to college. So uh, from, from me to you, I hope that really happens. Thank you for saying. Thank you. It's been, uh, it's been crazy times. You know, I was just wondering, you know, we're always trying to like look at classics. We're looking to create new content during this time. What are you doing during this tough time? I'm oh. trying to teach myself guitar. <laughs> <laughs> That's not That's going good. too well. Um, I, I did get the Fender app, so I, it is helping me a little bit, and I got some chords down, but it's it's a little bit of a struggle. Uh, I got I have two daughters that I have to take care of with my wife. Uh, they get bored, as you could well know. Uh, they um, they have homeschooling, as I'm sure you guys have, until yep. twelve o'clock, and then we tell them if it's nice to go outside and and get some energy, run around and do whatever the heck they can. Uh, my wife and I are, you know, going to the supermarket whenever we need stuff. Uh, I have, you know, downstairs my man cave is like all the girls' toys now. It's like an overflow oh. of girls' toys, and all my man cave stuff is now in my office at work. But I still have. I was lucky. I was lucky because I'm a gym rat and 
it's killing me right now that I can't go to a gym. But right before like the craziness really started, I was smart. And Bowflex sells these um, select the weight dumbbells. So I got on there and I got my dumbbells that go up to 52 and a half pounds. And every day I have a little workout session down here in my basement. I do cardio on YouTube. I have my workout session and we do, uh, we're doing these Yes, We're Here videos on the Yes Network. Uh-huh. And it's across the board and it's a lot of good stuff. And I don't want to start mentioning people's names because I'll forget somebody and I don't want to do that. But it's, it's all the talent across the board at Yes. And we're doing whatever we can to give people uh, a slim sense of normalcy, uh, to give people a little bit of an escape because let's face it, guys, when stuff like this happens, whether it's a national tragedy, a world tragedy, or a personal tra- tragedy, you always have that three-hour baseball game or that three-hour football game or some golf outing that's happening on Sunday that you could just sit, sink into your couch, relax, NBA basketball. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, whatever your fancy is, there's always that three hours where you could just veg out, watch your favorite sporting event, and we don't have that. And, you know, that's one of the things that, and I went through September 11th at MSNBC and it was, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. But for the three hours when football and baseball came back, those were the three hours where you could just decompress and forget about everything else and just show emotion watching your favorite sports. So the fact that sports aren't around right now I know that's difficult on a lot of people, but take the time to be with family, do do things with your family and just pass the time to make this time as special as you can make it. Because at this point, this is all we can do to stay safe. And, For you, sure. talk, uh, uh, and you talk a lot about, um, you know, different tragedies. I've watched a 9-11 documentary that kind of pointed out how, you know, the baseball game of the Yankees that when they played and even the Mets that maybe they weren't having a good season when those games were played. Yeah. When those games were being played, it was everyone is together kind of boosting up. Um, And I want to ask how has the broadcasting industry more specifically sports kind of been, I not, not want to say harder, but more challenging to put out content, as there's no really headlines, how is the industry kind of changing in the terms of everyone's working from home? Well, it's, (laughs) you know, that's a great question. And uh, here's the answer. Um, The the business was going towards nonlinear, you know, social media videos, Facebook, not as much Facebook as Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. And, and it's funny you know, now it's all we can do. You know, we can't go into the studio. We can't go to work. They shut the building down. So this is, this is our vehicle. And I think this is going to shed not a, not just a light, but a spotlight, a huge, like (laughs) one of those ones, like when a new club opens that they put out in front of the club and go back and forth. This, this is like the nonlinear for me awakening. You know what I mean? This is this is people going. Listen, and, and and I like it because the way Yes did it, they got together with everybody. It wasn't just like a, a group that did it. It was everybody. They they asked everybody for ideas, and and it 
it took all of us and our creativity to come up with this stuff and you know live tweet a yankees classic game uh with john flaherty who played in the jeter game where he dove into the stands in 2004 and flash got the game-winning hit in that game uh and you brought up the piazza home run after september 11th you know howie rose doing mets classic we're just trying these different things and it's again, I know it's old stuff, but it's still just to deflect people's minds off of the, just the tragedy that's going on right now with all the deaths and, and, and how you have to look, I just got back from the grocery store. I told you guys before we taped this, I had to do that because we were running low in the Sharon household. So my next door neighbor, uh, God bless him. He, he gave me one of those N95 masks. He's a cabinet maker. And he came by the house and he asked me if we needed one and I, I didn't have one. I had, a, I bought a bandana. My wife and I went down to Philadelphia and I went to talk to Rowan and we went to Philadelphia. We saw the Liberty Bell. We went inside Independence Hall where mm -hmm. the Declaration of Independence was signed because I never did it before and I wanted to. I know. And we went to the store and I bought a, a flag bandana. Uh, and if if I were to if I were to think that I was gonna be wearing that flag bandana as cover for my N95 mask instead of just on my head at the gym, <laughs> I, you know, it's just it's so weird seeing so many people out with plastic gloves and masks and keeping six feet away. It, it's just a different time, and I, I just don't know when sports are gonna come back. But golly, I hope it's soon, guys. I mean, we do hope it's soon. One thing that I saw was, um, you know, some of the teams there streaming their old games or they're doing simulations of the games on Twitter. And um, Gary, Keith, and Ron from SNY, they called one of the games on Twitter. It was yep. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, we're they adapt to the digital technology. You know, Keith and Ron aren't usually with that. And it was just a funny time. <laughs> we're doing that too. We're not, we're not, I don't think we've announced any, but I know we're, we're playing the season along on PlayStation 4 as if it were happening. Mm -hmm. uh, through MLB uh, 20, the show. So, yeah, it, it, it's – I'm a creative guy. I, I like thinking outside the box. And the things that we're doing and, – and, and we're just doing these Yes, We're Here videos now. And I'll tell you guys, uh, we're doing – the WNBA, we cover the New York Liberty as well. And they have their draft on Friday. And mm -hmm. we're going to have a draft party from 6.15 to 6.45 live. And it's going to be either on their Instagram or on their Facebook page. And then whoever the number one pick is, we'll get to interview them. So Friday's going to be stacked. I have a Yes, We're Here video with Jim Spinarkle too. God knows what we're going to talk about. <laughs> but we'll talk about something. We'll figure something out. You're creative, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just it's just coming up with stuff and having – like Spinarkle, the last time I, I did something with Spinarkle, he has – one, I think, of 216 original White Castle prints. It's it's a it's a sketch of a White Castle, and we ended the interview, and I was like, "What the hell do you have that for?" <laughs> but it's just it's stuff like that. It's stupid stuff like that that gets you through and and, and makes you think. I, I'm I'm catching up on all my 1980s comedy movies too that I have on DVD. So. You asked me about what I'm doing. My wife and I sit down here and we watch these awful old 1980s comedy movies. So you got to pass the time somehow. 
Exactly. You know, just find something, no matter how great it is or funny it is, and just roll with it. And also, you know, uh, you haven't done, you have your own podcast, the And We're All I Podcast. Do. And you were looking, and you, in your last episode was in the middle of last month. Do you want to maybe try to reboot that during this time? Or how, um, what do you guys talk about on that show? I'm, uh, see, it, it's, it's, little dicey right now because I have another podcast with the New York Post that I, Jeff Nelson, the former Yankee pitcher, is my co-host. Oh, wow. We do that every Monday. It's called the mm -hmm. Pinstripe Pod. You can get that wherever you download your favorite podcasts or Apple Podcasts. It's there as well. Uh, subscribe it, rate it, give us a nice little comment too, if you will. Uh, we just talked to Chris Chambliss and we had Mike Vaccaro on this past week, but we've had Tino Martinez, Paul O'Neill, Ken Singleton, um, we're, we're planning on having Don Mattingly on shortly, which I can't wait for because Donnie was my guy <laughs> when I was growing up yeah. besides, so besides Willie Randolph. So be on the lookout for that. And I don't know if you guys watch Brockmire, but I'm, uh, we're trying to get Hank Azaria from Brockmire. He also, I see a Simpsons character on this chat here. He, oh. He's many of the voices on the Simpsons. Uh, so we're going to try to get him on as well. It's just outside the box. From what I'm trying to do with my podcast is I'm trying to bring my friends on that I grew up with and take this is the end we're off podcast mm -hmm. and take certain teams that we grew up watching and kind of wax poetic on those seasons. And and the next I think the next one I have planned for that, it's either today or tomorrow that we're doing it. Same guy that was on the last time, Brian, is gonna come on and we're gonna do the 1995 Yankees. Because as you guys uh, know, um, or maybe you don't, but 94 was the strike. And 94 was the first year the Yankees were in first place in God knows how long. And it looked like they were going to the playoffs and maybe even the World Series. The Yankees and Expos were leading their divisions at that point. <laughs> um, what a time. And then, the, and then the strike happened and, and then that was the end of that. And then 95 came along and they barely got into the playoffs, but David Cohn came over from the uh, Blue Jays in a trade. And once he came over, they kind of took off. They went 21 and six to end the season. Uh, there's a, if you want to look it up on YouTube, Don Mattingly clinches his first playoff appearance and he takes his fist and he punches the turf at Sky Dome. It, and I, I'm not ashamed to say it. I shed a tear or five or 10. Uh, it, was just, it, it was a great moment for me because you got to remember something. I was four and five years old when the Yankees won in 77 and 78. I barely remember that. Mm -hmm. Barely. And then in 81, they lost to the Dodgers. So yep. you're talking from 1982 to 1994. And 94 was like, oh my God, we're going to make, oh, the strike. So, everybody's complaining because there's been a drought of a world series since 2009. How about a playoff drought? How about, how about a 12 year playoff drought? That stinks. <laughs> At least teams from 09 to, to now were in the playoffs and they had a shot back then in my younger years, growing up as a kid. I mean, I remember the old place, those sections of the stadium in the in right field and left field they were empty if somebody hit a home run out there it was a dead-on sprint for somebody to get that home run ball because no one was sitting there so yeah 
I mean, I could do, I could do this standing on my head. <laughs> this is nothing. Well, Ninety-five was a top year too. Uh, at uh, the it, end. Was, it was. I mean, but there are so many great memories from that September, and then from that series with Seattle until Seattle went and swept them in Seattle with the three games straight. But Don Mattingly's home run in that game two. Gary Thorne was on the call. Don't know if you guys have ever heard it. He's amazing. But if, if if you look that up, Ian, if you look that up, I know you're not the baseball guy, but if you look that up on YouTube when we're done and you hear Gary Thorne, if you don't get goosebumps, I don't know what's wrong with you, even if you're not a Yankee fan. He, sa- he, he hits that ball, and all Gary Thorne says is, hold on to the roof. And then it's beer going everywhere. It was it was one of the it was one of the signature moments in my Yankee fandom history. That's saying something. And they lost that series. But seeing Donnie do what he did with a bad back and pretty much carrying the team those first two games at Yankee Stadium, it's just amazing. And David Cohn just told me a story too. Um, before game one. Uh, Mattingly goes out to do his warm-up runs, and they gave him a standing ovation. And and Cone turned to Buck Showalter, and he said, "You know, they don't come to boo; they come to cheer. If they don't like something, they're gonna boo. But they don't come in here to to boo. They come in here to look for things that are great. And that man out there is great. So I, I'm getting goosebumps right now. <laughs> it's just this is something that happened." what is it 25 years ago for crying out loud and it still gives me that feeling inside i'm going to shut up now because i babble too much i'm sorry well, well, that's great story. Yeah, well before we you enjoy do, stories here before before you do that um i we have some visual learners here and i like to draw a diagram for my for big moments in the show so, okay what's my homework tonight so the gary thorne call from when from what year specifically 1995 95 there we go that's our homework for tonight. <laughs> there we go. That's our visual for today. I got another one for you. Okay. Another oh, one for you. The card. Part two. Any radio call from the Giants Super Bowl run of 1986. In fact, I have the I, I can't look for it now because I'll disappear, but I have the VHS Giants Among Men. And the radio guy for the Giants back then, and I don't want to get his name wrong. Uh his name escapes me right now, and it's going to kill me. But he was probably, and this is no shade to Bob Papa because Bob Papa is great as well. Mm-hmm. But this guy, and people are probably out there saying, you know, can't remember his name uh, because he hasn't been around in a while. And yeah, I'm starting to lose a little bit. But he was the way he said touchdown Giants. Oh my God! And the, and the 1994 uh, Howie Rose. Mm-hmm calling the win over the Devils in game seven when the Rangers were going to the cup finals. The Rangers have one more hill to climb, baby. That's Mount Vancouver. The Rangers are headed to the finals. And that was preceded by Matto, Matto, Steph. Oh, man. <laughs> it's really so interesting. It's really interesting to see how you grow up a sports fan. You have all this recollection of all these games. You turn that into a career. But – when was the time when you're when you felt 
this could be my career. This is my future. Is there like a moment in your life where you got a certain job or a certain show where you felt this is what I, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? When I worked at MSNBC, uh, we did the I miss in the morning show. God, he's, he's passed away too. I'm old. Anyway. Um, we did the I miss in the morning show and his producers on the MSNBC side, they loved me. Um, this guy, Terry Irving, uh, thought I was super talented and wanted me because our sports anchor was going away for the Christmas break. He wanted me to fill in for our sports anchor and wow. do the updates. So I nearly like jumped out of my sneakers. I was so happy and spun myself into the ceiling. I got to do it that one day. Like I was, and, and here's the reason why it's a great question, Cortland, because I was pretty much starting to trickle down the hill of my goal of being on the air. I was like, maybe this just isn't going to happen. And then they gave me that opportunity and I can't leave them out. Patrick Roddy too. He was, he, he really championed uh, me doing it. And he's the re he's one of the reasons besides Terry that I got that opportunity. And when I got that opportunity and I got to sit on the set and I got to do sports and I got to do highlights for the first time in my life, that whole part of me that said, this is never going to happen. It, it was kind of like, I, I don't know, pick an Avenger and the Avenger just like dusted somebody <laughs> like Thanos snapping a finger. That part of me was dust, you know? Um, and, and I just started refocusing my energies and refocusing myself on making it happen. And actually when I was hired at Yes in 2002, the, the producer who hired me was also the producer of the IMAS show. Oh. Uh, he went over to Yes and started doing it over there and he brought me over and he said, you don't have those on-air aspirations anymore, do you? He, he, he knew me too well and I lied to his face. <laughs> So sorry, Jeff. <laughs> I did lie to you when you hired me, but I needed to get out of MSNBC. Um, I did still have those aspirations. And as luck would have it, guys, two years later, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Uh, I kept, um, I went, he went on vacation and we were having these issues to, we, we did the Mike and the Mad Dog show, yep. uh, the radio show on television. And we were having trouble getting on the air because the show before them, I believe it was Jody and Sid. They would always go long and we would always be sitting on this slide. If you see Shane's picture there, we would be sitting on that <laughs> for sometimes two minutes and in two minutes, geez, 20 seconds is an eternity in TV. We are sitting on something like that for two minutes. So I went to the boss above my direct producer and I said, you know, I don't have to be on camera. Just let me do a highlight rip. It'll get us on the air easier. He said, no, I want you on camera. Do it on camera. Give me a demo, and then we'll make a decision. The rest is history. 2004, I took it upon myself to do it. I did it, and here I am 16 years later, guys, still doing it at the same network. So if I could get this head on television, anything is possible. And that show is the Sports Sprint, right? You're absolutely right. The sports sprint started it all for me. And that went in. I did an NHL, not NHL. I did a high school hockey like sideline. I was down there interviewing the high school hockey players as they came off. So it started slow. Ivy League football and Ivy League basketball. I did sideline. And then I started doing play-by-play -play for Ivy League football and basketball. Then we just went to Yale 
and I was the play-by-play voice for Yale on Yes. Wow. And, and it just, you know as well as anything, it doesn't matter any part of your life. The better you get at it and the more you do it, you don't want to back off. <laughs> you want to do it more. So that's the one thing that drives me crazy. There's so many talented people at Yes. So I have to wait to get opportunity sometimes. And that drives me through a wall because I, I'm like shot through a cannon, guys. I, I just, I want to work and I want to do everything. And I, I don't, you hear me. I, my parents got me a motor mouth shirt on the Ocean City, Maryland uh, boardwalk for a reason. <laughs> I don't shut up. <laughs> and I apologize. But, you know. You you want that on these shows. You don't want somebody who comes yeah. on and gives you two word answers. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I, I feel you. I mean, I want to, every time we have uh, stuff to do, we're right on. Ian and I, uh, Ian wanted to do basketball. So he's doing every game, no matter who they're playing. They're playing a Brian McMahon team with 0 20. He's still hyped up to do the game if they're playing an undefeated stable team. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter, guys. I, I, I did the Nets in the 2009-2010 season. They won 12 games. They were 12-70. and 70. Going into that locker room every time after a loss, because I was doing a lot of locker room reporting at that time, uh -huh. um, it, it just you could see it in their faces. And how many times can you ask how frustrating is it? You know. So, But it's those reps. It's getting reps with bad teams like that that make you not only appreciate the winning more, but you learn from those times. You know, you're not under a microscope when a team has 12 wins. You could you could take out the sandpaper of your craft and you could get those rough edges and you could polish them down. Anytime you can do anything, just do it. It doesn't matter. Oh man, I, I stunk this time. It doesn't matter. You got to rep in. The more reps you get in, the more you're going to climb the ladder, the better you're going to get, and the more people are going to want you. So it's it's not going to do anything to sit in your house and do nothing. Like I said before, take your cell phone, get a tripod, that app, Big View, B-I-G-V-U. I have nothing to do with it monetarily. It's free. You can get the premium. I still don't have the premium. But you could write scripts, and you could upload them into this app, and you could adjust the scroll so it goes slow or fast to your liking. And it's just you reading your copy. So if you want to sit down and do something like really poignant and take your time instead of doing something live, get this app, get a tripod, do it, put it out there. You see something like Brady going to Tampa Bay. Fire up your phone. Do a report on Brady going to Tampa Bay. Something just made national news. Damon Amendolara had Charles Oakley on his radio show yesterday, and Oakley hates Patrick Ewing, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you, have, if you have a thought on that, sit at your computer, write something out, throw it into that app, and do it, and put it on your Instagram. People will notice it. Just, just because you got like 10 views doesn't mean it's, it's useless. It's not useless because you are doing it, and you are getting a rep in. You're writing. You're getting yourself in front of a camera. This is the stuff you need to do. I used to go in front of a mirror. That sounds crazy. <laughs> but Ian and I know about that. You know, uh, we, we didn't have broadcasting camp last summer, and he told us that we needed to work on uh, public speaking. And he said, go in front of your mirror, give me a one-minute minute, minute monologue on any sports topic you want. And 
do a video and he showed it in front of the entire class. Who did this? Made a uh, Mike, oh. Mike Quick, who used to work oh, with. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We go to the Bruce Beck bro uh, broadcasting camp over the summer. Okay. And then last year we did, we went from the rookie camp to the veteran camp. And Mike, Mike, Mike runs the show there and he's very serious and passionate about it. You can tell he loves it. And he told Dylan and I, after the first day, he just calls people at random to come up to the room and talk to all of the other 50 kids and do a quick sports report. Uh, and he's like, you guys, you should go home. I see a talent with you guys. You should practice in front of a mirror, send it to me and we'll look at it tomorrow. And then the next day he loved it. So it, it doesn't sound, it does sound crazy because we heard him and we're like, what are you talking about? Go in front of the mirror. But it really, it does help because we were much better for it for the rest of the camp. So hey, I totally get what you're saying. Don't make fun of me, but I was in glee club in fifth grade and uh, we, we sang a song called you're never fully dressed without a smile. And if you stand in front of a mirror, wow, I'm going way back. But if you stand in front of a mirror and you practice this and you look like a sad sack, it's going to tell you, oh, crap, I have to smile more. Or, you know, if you're doing a serious story, like Hank Steinbrenner just passed away, God rest his soul. If, if you want to do a minute thing, a minute story on Hank Steinbrenner, you know, you got to practice. You, you got you to gotta get into the moment. You, you know, every time something happens, you, know, you got to be up. There's sometimes in, in, in the Nets pre and post game show where somebody did pass away, where I was up and, and vibrant with Frank Isola. And then I had to turn to another camera and automatically turn that volume from 11 down to two, because I'm about to do something that's very sad and very poignant. And, and, and that's in front of a mirror. That's, that's where you guys could shine. But the mirror that you need is right here. That's what you need because the only way you're going to get better is if you tape yourself and watch it back because you're going to say, ah, you know what? And, and sometimes don't script it. Do what Mike Quick said. Just do a monologue. Just riff for a minute. Just go. And when your timer says a minute, stop it and then go back and look at it and say, ah, eh, I, I babble a little bit here. I didn't have to say that and tighten it up. It's like I said, taking the sandpaper out and getting those rough edges and, and you guys are young enough that you could do this. And by the time you get out of college, you'll be so polished that you'll be ready. And I'm not saying that there's jobs that you're just handing out to people left and right, but you're going to be ahead of the game because yeah. you already have this mindset where you've been to this camp and you've had people in your life that have, you know, they're not blowing smoke up your hiney. They're, they're actually telling you what you need to do. And, and, and here's, here's another thing I could tell all of you. Find somebody in your family that you trust, someone that's going to tell you the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you what I used to do. I could do nothing wrong in my mother's eyes. I am my Italian mother's son. Mm -hmm. So no matter how I did on the air, I was great. I was the best thing since sliced bread. My father, on the other hand, would then take the phone and tear me apart. But it wasn't. It wasn't to be a jerk. It was to make me better. Mm -hmm. You all need someone like that in your life. You don't. Now, look, I'm not talking about trolls on Twitter. When you uh, work your rear end off to do something that you have so much pride in that you put out there for social media to devour and then they just say pass or not for me, that stuff you just need to ignore. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about someone you trust that can give you criticism 
that can make you better. You don't want yes men, yes women in your life. You want people who are going to make you better. And those are the people that are going to tell you the truth. They're not going to butter you up and say, oh, that was great, Jimmy. Oh, that was great, Todd. No problem. Oh, yeah. No, just because you stuttered there. No, we're going to tell you what's wrong. And we're going to, that's the only way you're going to get better. Constructive yep. criticism, not criticism that you're going to get on social media, but criticism that you're going to get from professionals like me. And I use professional very lightly there, but professional like me, guys like Mike Quick, guys like Bruce Beck. Guys, they're going to tell you the truth. Find someone like that in your family and show them the videos and ask their opinion, especially if they love sports. You want someone who you trust and who loves sports and say, if I put this out, would you watch it? Be honest with me. What do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? Listen to them. That's how you're going to get better. And it's so important just to take that criticism and I mean, I, I think of it, I relate it to baseball and you know, my mom, I'm going 0 for 4 with three strikeouts and she's telling me I had a good game. <laughs> I mean, that's not, that's not the true, true story. And then I go in the car with my dad and he's like, what are you doing out there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's always good to have someone who's going to tell you the truth, who's going to be honest, and he's just going to tell you what you need to get better because there's always something you need to get better. I mean, you look at the pros today, even Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth on NBC, there's always something that they can do to get better. There's no perfection. There's always... No more steps to take. I'm not ashamed to say this. And I told Jack Curry uh, this as well. We, we talk baseball all the time and, and there's no one to better to talk baseball with than, than Jack Curry or David Cohen. If, if you have his ear uh, for, for a half hour or more, I mean, he's just so much knowledge and, 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 and so much you can get from them. But I used to tell Jack all the time that, you know, this, everything that we do, um, Everything that we watch when baseball season is around, I learn stuff every day. And I've been watching the game for the better part of 40 years. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not ashamed to say that, hey, I learned something different today. Uh, I'm learning that we don't bunt anymore for some reason. I am not a proponent of that, but um, I still think the bunt has some cachet in certain situations. I mean, I would never have... Uh, I would never have Gary Sanchez lay one down. I would never have Giancarlo Stanton lay one down. But if you're down a run in a playoff game and Brett Gardner's batting ninth and you have the top of the order coming up and you have a guy on first and you need one run, I'm laying one down. Because you know what? Brett might beat it out still in his older years. He still might beat it out. And he's advancing the runner for the top of the lineup. DJ Lane, who come up next, you know, walk him and pitch to Aaron Judge. Okay, what are you going to walk Judge and pitch to Stanton? What are you going to do? Walk him and pitch? Oh, wait, the game is tied. Bunting still has cachet in my book. I do agree with these people now with the sabermetrics and everything else that drives me up a wall. Um, but it has its place. It is giving up and out. I think teams do it uh, too early sometimes. You can't be bunting in the first inning uh, in a regular season game. That just makes no sense anymore. But in the right situation, I do believe it could help your team. For sure. I mean, we always – I think back. I was watching the classics, as I said, and just so such a different game. We don't see the, the strike zone box on the TV anymore. We don't see – stolen bases. I mean, I'm, I'm at my uh, TV watching the games. I'm like, 
Why isn't Brett Gardner stealing a base right now? You guys, you guys were robbed of never seeing Ricky Henderson play. That that guy was a freak of nature. John Flaherty told me he was a teenager and he went to a game at Yankee Stadium. He got really good seats right next to the Yankees on deck circle. And he saw Ricky come into the on deck circle and he said to himself, I'll never be in this league. This guy's legs are the size of my body. <laughs> I mean, just to watch this guy play, if you walked him, it, it turned into a double or triple. Easy, easy. It, he was just double. unbelievable to watch. And, and, and Ian, there's more homework for you. Go watch Ricky stealing bases on YouTube. I'm during this. this uh, <laughs> There we go. I'm sorry all right. for all the tangents and all the side roads I go down, but once you get me going, guys, it's just impossible to stop. I can speak for myself. I've fully enjoyed them being a sports fan and just, you know, hearing people who were, you know, kind of alive during that uh, the playoff run Yankees. <laughs> but it's a different perspective than seeing, you know, someone, you know, who's given a question on air of this or that, or maybe just watching it online of yourself. It's just to see a different perspective of it. And I really enjoyed you coming on and joining us as we see your career and your career as a sports fan too. Well, anytime you guys want to have me on to talk about anything, I'd be more than willing to. You guys were prepared. I love that about you all. Uh, you're very passionate about what you do. And those are the things I look for when I talk to kids, like I said, kids in high school, kids in college, uh, you could weed them out pretty fast, but I could see the, it, it shows through, uh, this Google meeting. I, I could see it. You guys, you remind me, I'll tell you right now, you all remind me of the kid, Brian, who did my podcast with me, Brian Sanborn. We used to have study hall and we played paper football and talk sports. That's all we did. And you guys remind me a lot of us back then. So I could see myself in all of you. So it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I thank you for having me on. That's a huge Thank match. you so much. I mean, it was a great time with you and just talking baseball, talking as friends. It's just, it's a good time to get our thoughts out during this uh, time that we haven't really gone through yet. And no one really has. So uh, this has been Beyond the Whistle episode seven with Chris Sheeran, Corlin Parrott, Ian Nicholas, Adel Pascator. Thank you guys for watching.